0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Sunday. And Sunday was married to a triangulating abuser. It's a story of guilt, crazy making, attacking competency, abusive in laws, and smear campaigns. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today we have Sunday. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I am doing well, thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Sunday is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today there is no content warning on this episode. And today you're going to hear Sunday's story, and Sunday was in a 15-year relationship with this person, a 15-year marriage, and you're going to hear abuse that is going on during the relationship and also a lot of post-separation abuse stuff as well. So a big thank you to Sunday for being here with us today, and now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Sunday, the floor is now yours.
1: Thank you very much. Um, Where to begin? I think I'll probably begin with my kind of family dynamic. I grew up in the UK, um, mum, dad, and my sister. Um, We had quite a dysfunctional family. I think my mum was pretty narcissistic. She was um, always keeping up appearances very unhappy marriage, yet she she was more interested in what the neighbours thought than actually doing what was right for her and me and my sister. So my dad was very much um, quite overt, flirty, was a womaniser, but she kept it all quite hidden um, just to keep up the appearances to the community. So I was often the rescuer for her, that I would look after her, wouldn't leave her at home when I knew he was out with other women. um, My sister was able to, she was a lot older than me, so she could go out with her friends. She didn't really see what was going on at home. So I was very much probably parentified, I would say, by my mum that I, I was more like the parent to her. You know, like she didn't really... See what was going on with me when she was trying to cover up everything that was going on with my dad, so I never really got a good sense of what love was or what a healthy marriage was or a healthy relationship so i I never really had that model to me um, and yeah, I really believe that dynamic between my mum and I has got a lot to do with my choices in in men and how I've attracted narcissists into my life
0: so as a child uh, did you have a lot of friends and I guess what were you like as a teenager how did you see yourself did you have confidence in yourself Uh, anything like that Uh, what were your hobbies and uh, did you have lots of friends, and did you have any relationships at all uh, when you were a teenager?
1: Um, I had friends. Um, Again, because my mum was so um, kind of obsessed with uh, being up there and competing with others, I was sent to what was kind of classed as a selective school, which I really shouldn't have gone to because I wasn't up to the standard of going to a selective school. But um, I went to this all-girls grammar school and I I really didn't do well at all. I was kind of bottom of the class. I couldn't keep up. So I had no self-confidence. I was very, um, I don't know, I, I I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And like, I would never do that to my children. And my mum was oblivious to it, though. Never, you know, never checked if I'd done my homework. Didn't really care what my grades were as long as I was going to that school. So I had friends, but I had very low self-confidence and low self-esteem. Um, I, had, I had boyfriends here and there. I, my first long-term boyfriend was probably he was when I was 17 for two years. Again, he was—he's pro- more of an overt narcissist, I think. He, um, you know, he's right, really out there. He's—he's he's now an actor in the UK. So um, it's funny when I see him on TV shows, and that I think that's right up your alley, being right in front of the camera. You know, um, he was quite abusive. I don't think I've ever been in a relationship where it's not been abusive. Um, and when I have gone into relationships where they're not it feels really bizarre to me. It's like, I don't know what to do with a nice man. So yeah, I went out with him for a couple of years and then, and then I went out with a um, professional soccer player and um, I wouldn't say he was a narcissist, um, but he had, you know, he he had quite a glamorous lifestyle. He had women all around him, which was, was the downfall of our relationship. But I ended up Falling pregnant to him, and um, that relationship didn't work out. And I was a single mum at twenty-one, which was pretty hard because, again, my parents. Um, while I was going out with him, and he was this famous soccer player, my parents quite proud, and you know, all oh, my daughter's going out with him, blah blah blah. But then, when we finished, and I was pregnant, they were ashamed. So. They wouldn't, my mum wouldn't let me go near her work when I was pregnant for fear of her colleagues seeing that I was pregnant. She kept it all a secret. When I went into labor, she just walked out of work, didn't tell anyone where she was going through pure shame that, you know, I was this 21 year old pregnant to the ex soccer player. So, yeah, that was pretty hard because, again, I brought shame on the family. So, um, My self-esteem never really went up. I I never really had any confidence. And so when I met my husband, who was from Australia, it was like my ticket out of there. I actually thought, I can leave. Like, this is a good way of going to the other side of the world and leaving all of this behind me. So I, um, I wouldn't even say, to begin with, I was immediately attracted to my ex-husband I was just very vulnerable and he had traveled to the UK for my sister's wedding my sister was marrying his friend um from Australia and he'd come over for the wedding and and I was a single mum living on my own and he had come over and he had nowhere to stay so I was asked if I would put him up because he didn't have anywhere and I had a spare room so I did. I didn't know him, but obviously I got to know him. Um we got into a relationship and and you know in the back of my mind I I was thinking, you know, this is this is great. He's not from around here. He doesn't know who I am. He and he was when he got to know me he was a bit like, yep, I'll look after you. I'll like he really honed in on my vulnerabilities like You don't need to be a single mum. I'll look after you. come to Australia. And um, by this point, I had really kind of got my life somewhat on track. Like I'd I'd finished my nursing degree. I had a good job. Yeah, I was a single mum, but I worked as much as I could. I bought my own house, drove a nice car. You know, all the things that he probably saw in me. He was a student, he was in debt, he he didn't have a penny to his name. And there I was, you know, offering to fly him over from Australia after he'd gone back after the wedding. I was like, oh, you know, I'll fly you back over. Like, come and see us because how are we going to have this relationship? And so he, of course, jumped at the chance. and And I would spend all this money on flying him over, Um, and that's when, um, I actually felt pregnant with my second child on one of the trips that I'd paid for him to come and visit. Um, and so it kind of sped things up. He was like, well, you need to come to Australia sooner rather than later. And you're a nurse, so you can get a visa to come and live over here and, you know, I'll look after you, everything's going to be okay. He would send me love letters he would you know he really did the whole love bombing very, very well, you know he was telling me he loved me within probably two weeks of our relationship um and it was everything I wanted to hear, you know like i'd i'd at twenty one you know I found myself a single mum, my parents, you know. I brought shame on the family. Even my sister, um, when she found out I was pregnant and she found out that I was keeping the baby, she said to me, don't expect me to be happy for you and um, didn't talk to me for weeks because she thought I was throwing my life away. So there was this guy who was promising me the world and I completely ignored all the red flags of the fact that he hadn't ever been in a long-term relationship. He didn't have any money. He portrayed that he came from this close-knit family where mum and dad were still together. You know, he said he'd never heard his parents argue. And, and that really appealed to me, that he came from a good family because my family was so dysfunctional. I kind of s- thought that that was a good trait to for someone to have, that they came from a good background. And so my son and I would be welcomed into the family. And he really painted a picture of a, you know, a great life for me and my son.
0: So you met him through this wedding. Yes. So what was... The opinion of him by the other people that were associated with him
1: um my sister and her husband um used to say he was so shy he was painfully shy and that um he because i used to say oh well, why has he never had a girlfriend you know if he's so nice he's, why is he never with anyone and and my sister had always told me that he'd always had kind of one night stands with a lot of her friends that had visited or so he'd always had these um relationships with my sister's friends but it never come to anything like and I couldn't I never really knew why and I and so I thought to myself oh well I must be special if he wants to pursue a relationship with me and he didn't with any of my sister's friends and and they just used to say, oh, it's because he's just, he lacks self-confidence, he's shy. And, and I thought, oh, that's really nice. Like, I really like the fact that he wasn't going to be violent. He wasn't going to be aggressive. He, he wasn't, I, I kind of thought, this is a man I would like to bring my son up with me. You know, like, I really thought he was a good man with good values, good family. And the fact he lived across the other side of the world was quite appealing too. So, you know, I threw everything into it and he, he did too, like in the beginning, like he really made me feel like I was special. Um, and, and so I, I got all the visa stuff sorted and, um, put my unit on the market back at home and we flew over here and I was pregnant. Um, I think I was probably about 28 weeks pregnant by the time I got everything sorted. And, um, and he said, Oh, you know, I've got a place ready for us and, um, you just need to get here. And so I did. And me and my son, we, we flew over and it was really daunting. Like I was pregnant. And at the back of my mind, I thought, I really don't know this guy that well. Like I know him because he's a friend of my sister's and I've had a relationship with him, but, I'd never spent a length of time with him to really know what he was like, but I was really taken in by the love bombing. And so we came over and as soon as I got here, it wasn't what he had promised. Like he was living in his um, grandparents' house. They had gone into a care home. We were living in this old house. Um, he was going to, he was at uni and he was going to his um his cracks during the day so I was left at home with my son and I was pregnant and I didn't have any friends and my sister didn't live close by and I was just becoming more and more depressed by the day like half of me was thinking what have I done and the other half he he couldn't believe that I wasn't ecstatic that he had taken me in as a single parent um that actually i should be grateful that somebody had had wanted me and so he he just couldn't understand why i couldn't settle in and why i felt quite isolated having no friends and he would say well you don't you know you don't need any you've got me and um and he was really quite cruel but it was it was very mixed with you know he was he was glad i was there but then he'd, he'd say really cruel things and it got to the point where my pregnancy was progressing and i knew that if i didn't i, could, I only had a window of time that i could fly back to the uk if it wasn't going to work and i really thought it wasn't going to work like he had a real lack of empathy for what i was going through that i'd i kind of i'd, I'd moved to the other side of the world i was about to have a baby my son who was he was four at the time. He was a bit like, I want to go home. Um, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to go home to my friends. Why are we here? He didn't understand. So I had all this guilt. I, I just thought, what have I done? Like, and so I, I said to my ex, you know, I've only got this little window of going home. If we're not going to work, you need, we need to talk about this and decide what we're going to do. And he, um, he wouldn't talk to me about it. He would stonewall me. He would just walk off, tell me that it was all my problem, and why couldn't I just why couldn't I just settle? And um, I said, "Look, that's not going to get us anywhere. Are we going to try and work it out, or shall I go home?" And he just said, "Do what you want." And so, and then he went to work the next day and didn't talk to me for days. And so, I I booked a flight. And I actually thought he might come running through the airport and say, don't go. Um, and um, I went home and I didn't hear from him. I didn't hear from him at all, actually. And I I was being induced with the baby. And so I knew the date I was going to have the baby. So I messaged him and said, I'm just letting you know, um, this is, um, this is, the day I'm gonna be having the baby, I'll let you know what we have, and um I hope everything's okay, blah, blah, blah. And could we try and be amicable for the sake of the baby? And um, and then I had the baby, and I messaged him afterwards and I said, Look, if nothing else has come out of our relationship, we've got a beautiful baby boy. And um, and that's when I started getting the emails saying how I'd taken his son away. He didn't like the name I'd chosen for the baby. I'd taken his grand, his um parents' first grandchild away. Um, every time I sent a picture or any kind of milestones of the baby, I would get emails back about how he he just couldn't understand how selfish I was. It, it and my emails were very much, I was they were quite factual, just like you know baby has done this today's rolled over he's done that i i just tried to keep them nice and pleasant and i would always get back something i had done or how much i'd hurt him for leaving and nothing was ever his fault and i would always reply and say i'm so sorry for my part in this but we've got to focus on the future and and all it was it was just abuse i got get constant abuse back and um. And so when, when the baby was actually um, eight months old, I decided to come over for a holiday to introduce this baby to him and see my sister. And, you know, I really wanted to build bridges because I, you know, I'd already gone through it with my first son where I wasn't with his father and, and, I, and he didn't really have contact with his father and I did not want this for my other son. So I really, like, I I went to his family as well and I rang his parents and I said, look, I am can't change the past, but I want you to meet your grandson. And they were quite fine with it initially. They said, yeah, that's great. We'd love to see him. And, um, and so I came over and he... Initially at the airport, it was really quite awkward. The first time he'd met his son. And, and I really, I just, I took the blame for all of it. Like I, I was, I apologized to people. I apologized to him. I, I wanted him to take some accountability, but he just, he never would. He would always, I was always referred to as single mum Sunday. I was the, I was the troubled one. I was the one that had a dysfunctional family. I had issues. Um, I was never seen as the single mum who owned her own house, who had a full-time job, who finished university. Who uh, He would never point out what I had done well. He always wanted to point out what I hadn't done.
0: So when he would do that... You know, you grew up in an environment where there was neglect kind of going on with you and academics and a lot of your life. You're put into that school where you're kind of set up to fail and your confidence, lacking confidence, started to happen at that time when it came to competency so even though that you became this nurse and you finished university was that kind of always stuck with you so when he's doing these specific things is it something that you're dealing with already kind of in the back of your mind do you see yourself even like you did all these things where you have accomplished those things. So you've proved yourself wrong, but are those other things kind of just underlying there? So when he does do this, it hurts even more than how it might hurt someone else who didn't have those issues.
1: Yeah, for sure. He, I, he would constantly use all my vulnerabilities. He knew I had confided in him so much stuff because Initially he wanted to know everything about me. He he wanted he he portrayed himself as this caring, you know, you can trust me, tell me. And I and I used to say things to him, you know, like about my parents and how they, you know, I never felt good enough. And he always used to say, Oh, you know, you are good enough and you're this and you're that. And then and then he would use he would use it against me. As soon as I was here, he used it against me. And you know and and when I came over for the holiday I only came over for three weeks but he then kind of persuaded me to stay um by saying oh you know don't take him away again and and I felt really bad I I thought I can't leave like I I can't take his child away and so I ended up getting sponsored by a nursing agency and um and just never going home. I arranged um to sell my unit from here. I was here with, you know, two suitcases, two kids. I just resigned from my job in the UK. I just did it over the phone and and I stayed. And um my parents, my dad at the time said he would help me with money because obviously my ex didn't have any money still um so my dad gave me some money to rent a place which I did and you know and I just I started from scratch again I um I didn't have a car I didn't have a job like I was just doing agency work I was doing night shifts I I would just get second-hand furniture I you know I furnished this house went to work and and my ex kind of He said, oh, you know, you can earn more than I can, so why don't you go to work and I'll look after the kids. And so there I was, you know, working all hours um, while he stayed at home and he looked after the kids. And and there was one day when my older son was out in the garden um, and I was at home at this point and he came running in and he said, Mum, there's two men out the front. And I, so I went out there and, um, and they were debt collectors and my ex was in over $50,000 worth of debt that I didn't know about. And they were threatening to take stuff from our house if he didn't pay this debt. So with the sale of my property in the UK, I paid the debt off. I paid the 50,000 and I said to him, I don't ever want Men like that coming into my garden again and scaring my kids, and um even that he he was like, oh, it's not my fault. I, I'm you know it's just debt from here. You know nothing was his fault. He couldn't just say, yeah, I was stupid. I I got into debt. Like he was always deflecting from responsibility, and he was always bailed out of trouble that he was in. Like his parents would always bail him out, and and then I took over that role of bailing him out, and. Um, So I was constantly trying to rescue him. But at the time I was doing those things, hoping probably for his acceptance. And, but he was just used against me all the time. It was, it it was, he was never grateful for anything I did. You know, I'd just, I'd go out to work. He'd spend the money. He was, I don't know. It was funny. It's like that. You know that cognitive dissonance. I, I had two thoughts. I knew it was wrong. Then I kept thinking, well, you know, I I've taken his kids away, like, and or I've taken his his son away. I, I owe it to him, like, I. But I I really didn't know. I was so conflicted, and I thought I can't leave again. Like I've got to stay. I've got to stick it out. Like, and I just got more and more depressed, and I, I didn't. I just I was confused all the time because he'd come across as this really nice genuine guy but at the same time I was really emotionally and psychologically abused by him like he would use everything possible against me he he because my um my dad was very much when I'd left the first time my dad was my main support and um you know he 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 didn't like that he didn't like the fact that i was so close to my dad so he was all he would always slag my dad off and and his family would too and his his family wouldn't um wouldn't let my dad come to their house at christmas um even though my dad had flown over from the uk to spend christmas with his grandkids my ex's mother wouldn't allow him to come so And I even then I'd say to my dad, I'm really sorry, but they don't want you to come. You're not welcome. And I really should have stood up for them and said, well, no, I should have stood up for my dad and said, well, if he's not welcome, I'm not coming either. But I didn't. I'd left my dad at home.
0: So is he smearing your dad and everyone to his family? So his family believes all of these crazy things that aren't reality?
1: Yeah, and his family live four hours away from us and I've never spent any length of time with them. Um, he has smeared me and my family from the minute I met him. So his family have never liked me. You know, when he came back from the wedding initially, you know, he had to go and tell his mum that he'd met this single mum and, you know, I've fallen in love with someone in the UK, but she's going to come over here. And and so the very first time I met his mother, she said to me, "You do know that he's at university, don't you? And um, doing a teaching degree. I don't want that messed up." And she was very mean to my son. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't nurturing, wasn't loving to him or anything. She would tell him off in it straight away, and. And even then I thought, oh God, this is, this isn't the picturesque family I, I had in my head that you've kind of, you'd painted that your family was so perfect. And straight away, I felt uncomfortable meeting them all because I was, you know, he'd obviously said to them that I was troubled and, you know, I was this single mum and that, you know, he was rescuing me and, and then he must have told them, you know, oh, she's gone back to England. She's taken your, ch- your grandson away or, you know, um, because they all hated me. They all hated me with a passion. They still do. And so I was very much triangulated with the family that it, it didn't matter what I did. They didn't like me.
0: So what was his role within his family?
1: Oh, he was Golden's Child. He could do no wrong he didn't finish his teaching degree he didn't he had every opportunity to finish his degree he didn't that's my fault he now you know I mean and I'll get on to what he what's happened since but it did not matter what I whatever happened between me and him it was my fault he um he drank for most of our marriage he um He was, I would call him a professional alcoholic. You never knew that he was drunk, but he was always drinking. Um, The children knew it. I knew it. He was, his mum was an alcoholic. um, Possibly his dad, but especially the mum. They were always drunk when we did see them. Always abusive. They would abuse the cousins. So, Say, for example, we'd all sit down to dinner. Um, His mum's sister, she moved to America. So she married an American and they had four boys. And those boys used to come over and travel to Australia regularly. And so often when they came to visit, we would go down to visit too. So we would go and have these big family lunches. And, of course, there was a lot of alcohol involved. And the boys were very... They were very vocal in their beliefs, you know, politics, things like that, but not in an aggressive way. But they had their beliefs. But because they didn't believe the same things as my ex's mum and dad, they would start telling the the cousins that they were ignorant. Um, they would start calling them names. Um, it would get to the point where they were shouting at them. I can't even believe you're staying in our house when you believe this, or um, it would get so uncomfortable that people just didn't know what to do. And these, these young boys, like they're in their 20s at the time, were arguing with these his two parents in their 60s and the father calling them names. And my ex-husband and his brother would enable this they would go up to the mum and dad and put their arm around them and just go it's okay just calm down like like they would say they would call them names like you are a stupid and then a swear word you know like they were so horrible to them yet see if that was my parents I would say cut it out that's not okay you don't speak to anyone like that whereas with within his family Everything was, you, you just enabled it. You just had to just dampen it down. Don't argue with the parents. Just say that's okay, you know. And they were, they were bizarre as well in that they wouldn't let my children call them grandparents. They had to be addressed by their names. So they weren't known as nan and pop or nan and granddad. They had to be known by their names and because they thought they were superior they were too superior to be grandparents so the more the deeper i got in the more i realized that this fairy tale was more a nightmare than than anything and every time we went to visit it would end up in there'd be some argument um often because they would be rude at the dinner table they would be mean to the kids or they would start on at the cousins and And I just couldn't really. I didn't like it. I didn't like being a part of it. I, I could see that my husband was never going to defend anyone, other than his family, like his mum and dad. He was just going to let them, let them speak to people however they wanted to. They used to speak to me terribly. Like she used to ask me why, like say for example, I was wearing what made me buy these glasses, you know, like, and I said, "Oh, I like them," you know, like, and she said, "Mm." I don't know why you'd buy them like and and I used to think oh my like I'd get paranoid I think oh do they look awful like and I'd say to my husband why does she talk to me like that and and he'd just he'd turn it around and say it was me and I was just too sensitive or she'd say things to me at the dinner table in front of everyone like you ever thought about wearing makeup you know like and I just my heart would sink I would just think why is she doing it to me again like I felt bullied you know and and my husband would just sit there and it would just go right over his head and he wouldn't he wouldn't say a word and so we used to we used to drive home four hours home to Sydney and just argue the whole way home I'd just say how can you let her talk to me like that how can like why don't you defend us why don't you do something and he'd say oh you're just you're just too sensitive and um it's all you Sunday like so she's he would never ever stick up for me or the kids and it was it was horrible because i i always used to think it was me and so i could never really i always knew that there was something not right within our marriage and our relationship i never knew what it was because i couldn't i was always told it was my fault everything was my fault so I really didn't know what what to do. And and I remember um, I used to go into work because I worked full time. And, you know, I'm a mental health nurse. And I used to go into work and some days I'd just be in tears. And one day this older nurse that I worked with, I was talking to her about it. And um, she said to me, this was years ago, she said, go home and look up covert narcissism she said your husband sounds like a covert narcissist and that's when i really started to kind of piece it all together of what my husband what i believed him to be and i started listening to podcasts and i started you know researching it and and everything pointed to that's what he was that's what he was like he used to make me think i was going crazy i'd 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 go up to him and say can we talk about this issue in our marriage or can we talk about that issue and he would not say a word so I could I could say what I wanted what I felt and then he would just explode absolutely explode into abuse and tell me I was this I was that no one liked me I was mad um i needed help um i didn't know what i was like um i shouldn't um if only i'd let him take control of my life it would be so much better um he he just made everything i did every parenting decision i made was wrong um and it would get to the point i'd literally be on the floor crying saying please please don't talk to me like, okay. And I, I, I'd end up, you know, rolling over and saying, I was sorry. And he would literally, but at that point when I was on the floor beside myself, he would get up and be, it's like, he just had supply. He was happy and he'd literally bound around the house. Like he was on a high and I could barely get up off the floor and he would I don't know, it was so bizarre. He would be on a high for the rest of the day and I just could barely function. And it was like he was kind of saying, there you go, see, you are mad. Like, you, I, I'm quite fine. And, and we would go to counselling, couple counselling, and I would just be there crying and saying, you know, I just don't know what's going on in this marriage. And he would sit there as cool as anything and it made me look even crazier, you know, like he could completely keep it together and answer the counsellor's questions. And, and there I was beside myself, I couldn't even speak sometimes. And, um, and it was only fairly recently when after we had split, that um, one counsellor asked him to leave the room and, um, he said to me, you do know you're being abused. And it was like somebody had just taken a weight off my shoulders because we'd been to all these counsellors in the past and he had just pulled the wool over their eyes and yet this one guy just had his cards marked from the beginning and he said, are you safe to go home with him? And I said, "I said, he won't hit me. He's never hit me. And he said, I'm not worried about that. He said he is abusive and um I said I know I said I think he's a covert narcissist and he said to me you've hit the nail right on the head and so it was only recently after 15 years that I actually feel validated of that I was not going crazy and that you know he he was abusing me and because for years he used to tell me i was the perpetrator he was the one that was abused by me and um and it was all me it wasn't it wasn't him and you know i my self worth was beaten down so much that i actually i used to think am i like am i the am i the problem like i'd google am i a narcissist like is it me like i i really thought i was going crazy like to the point i would go to the doctor and say i I think I'm going mad, like I I don't know what's going on here. And he um he owns a local cafe, so he is very well known in our area as Mr. Nice Guy. And um he everyone thinks he is just the greatest bloke going round and um he really when we separated we separated just um it was the first day of homeschooling of covid and um his mother had actually um his mother had died she passed away and we went to we went to her funeral and when we got down there the brother um was waiting at the chapel and and i went up to him and i said i'm sorry for your loss and um and everything, you know, I, I thought I'd done the right thing. I'd gone up to him and, and then the funeral happened and then we went back for the wake and the brother started to walk over towards us. So I, I kind of just sat with the kids cause I, I thought, oh, none of them like me. So I'm just going to sit with my kids and, you know, it's their mother's funeral. You know, I'm just going to do the right thing. And, And my husband said to me the day after, I will never forgive you for the way you treated my brother at my mother's funeral. And I hadn't done anything. Like, I literally sat with my kids. Like, I didn't say anything. I said, I'm sorry for your loss. The whole family ignored me that day. They all sat away from from me and my kids. And we weren't involved. We weren't invited back to the house um, afterwards. we had to stay in a hotel my husband didn't stay with us and my husband said to me do you wonder why they don't like you Sunday it's been years in the making and I I used to think to myself what have I done like I haven't done anything like I don't ever see these people like he actually made me believe that no one liked me and that I'd done Really awful things over the years that I, that he could never explain to me. I'd say to him, "Explain to me!" And I, I it was like banging my head against the wall. I'd literally scream at him, "Tell me what I've done!" Like, but he was, he could just disguise it so well that it was so hard to explain to anyone the abuse at the time. Like, it's even hard to really explain now because on the surface he looks like a great bloke like and the smear campaign since we've separated is insane like i can walk through our local village and no one talks to me like i'm you know he's smeared my name that much that lots of people who i used to be friends with i'm not friends with anymore
0: so you know you are Going through all of this, you went through this whole entire marriage and you just said that it was hard kind of to pinpoint like what's happening or 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 what is abuse or, or what is not abuse. And a lot of people know that we deal a lot with describing the different types of abusers that are in the Lundy Bancroft's uh, book. Why does he do that? And some of the things that have come out of your mouth are are like 100% you're dealing with a Mr. Right. And, you know, if if someone had given you that book and you read that type right off the bat, you would know 100% that you were not crazy and yeah. that you're dealing with someone who just needs to be right. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you said here... Was had something to do with like I know better than you do even about like what's good for you if you just accept
1: let me take control yeah if if you just accept that I know what's
0: right our relationship would go much better your own life would go much better too I mean you said that without even looking at a piece of paper or anything and it was like oh this is who you're dealing with like this is exactly who you're dealing with and you know, that's who his family is, too. They ridicule, they discredit your perspective, they try to make you feel that you are stupid. And, you know, that's how they really start to kind of take control of your your life. And they yeah. mock you and insult you, calling you names. Um, And it's just like a suffocating kind of control, which is hard to put your finger on as a form of control because technically, you know, they're it's not like they're stopping you from seeing your friends or they're tracking where you're going or, or th- like, you know, it's being done with these words and superiority and keeping you below them and keeping you down somewhere and pushing you down, and that's that kind of control. it might not look like it, but you know the words are pushing you in a hole, and then the words are making you feel a specific way, and it's hard to you know those words are like a foot on your neck and and it and it keeps you in 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 your place for and for you, it did it for fifteen years,
1: yeah. And there were, there were some real specific incidences where I actually, I just, I didn't know what to do. Like I was, for example, my, when it was my son's 16th birthday, my um, ex-husband was going to a work meeting and I specifically said to him before he left, you know, we're going out for dinner tonight Um, make sure you don't drink at this meeting. And um, he was like, yeah, yeah. I know. And I said, you know, it's his 16th birthday. I want it to be special. And the, that, they were the last words I said to him. And, um, and then when it got to the, the afternoon, I, I rang him and he wasn't answering the phone. And then my son rang me and said he hasn't picked me up. And um, I kept ringing, ringing, ringing. And then he finally answered. And he could barely speak. He was that drunk. And I said to him, where are you? And he said, oh, I'm just getting in the car. I'm just going to go and pick the kids up. And I said, do not move another, you know, don't move at all. I'm coming. Stay where you are. He could, you know, he could barely speak. He was that drunk. And I went to where he was and I took the keys out of the ignition and he was slumped over the steering wheel. And so I took the keys and I said, don't bother coming home in that state. And we ended up just going through the drive through for my son's birthday. I was so distraught that he had done this. And I remember the next day his family said to me, his brother rang me and said, um, when can he come home? And I said, I don't want him home at the moment. I said, I can't believe what he did last night. He could have put my kids in the car. He could have killed them. And he said, oh, you're so dramatic. And, um, And I said, he didn't just have a couple of drinks. He could barely speak. Anyway, the brother ended up hanging up on me. And again, he didn't talk to me for weeks, the brother. He thought I should have just taken him home. Then the mother came round, and she said to me that she'd heard what had happened. And um, she said to me, shit happens. Get over it. And I said, well, no, actually, what if he'd killed your grandkids? Like, shit doesn't happen. Like, I have boundaries and so should he. And not one, like, you know, if that was my son and his wife, I would fully, like, I would say to my son, are you, you know, are you stupid. You don't drink and drive. You don't, like, and yet, once again, this was all my fault. Like, I should just get over it. Like, I wasn't allowed to be angry. I wasn't allowed to be upset that he'd ruined my son's birthday. Uh, no one, no one thought that I should be upset, I should just get over it and he should come home. So, he, you know, he ended up coming home and I was the one that was in the wrong again. I had to write it with his brother, I had to say to his brother I was sorry. You know, there was another incident where when it was COVID and I was working on the front line at um, nursing and we were in lockdown and over here doctors and nurses could go to the supermarket for an hour before other people could just to get their groceries before you know everyone else was going and getting their toilet paper and I just shared a post from one of the major supermarket chains and I just shared it on Facebook so that my colleagues could see it you know my burnt out colleagues and uh, my mother-in-law commented on it she said um there are far more people that deserve that shopping hour before it gets to people like you and um I got home that night and my husband didn't say a word to me he just said oh I you know I've come home from a late shift I got home about 11 o'clock it was awful working during COVID he knew what she'd written on Facebook it had sparked comments left right and center um people saying who is this woman she's got the same surname and People were replying to her and her closing comment was, I'm out of this argument for too much for me. And I hadn't even done anything again. And then my brother-in-law sent my husband a message saying, your wife's up to her old tricks again, causing trouble, ruining families. And I just, like, I couldn't believe, I thought, am I literally going mad here? Like, I haven't done anything are you going to stick up for me? Like they're all saying this stuff about me and you're doing nothing. And, and he still, he, he, he still thought I was in the wrong, that I deserved to be spoken about like that. And his brother was such a good guy. And it was my fault that the brother didn't like me. And it was me against them all the time. Like if we weren't a unit, we weren't You know, we didn't stick together. I wanted to, but it was his family and him against me. And I had these, you know, by this point, I had six children. I've got six children. Um, And they just all absolutely hated me. And it's not because they spent any great length of time with me, they didn't get to know me. The only thing I can think of is they've based it on what he has told them. And um, the picture he's painted of me of, you know, I, I wasn't a good enough wife. I wasn't a good enough mother. He would always um, tell me that my parenting was wrong. I made poor decisions. Um, he didn't like the fact that I had a good relationship with all of the children. He was always very jealous of that. He was always very jealous of my oldest son. Um if ever he did well at anything he was jealous of him but again he used to blame the fact that he didn't have a good relationship with him on me that was my fault he would say I'd I'd never let him be a father to him um he wouldn't take accountability for anything it didn't matter what it was he could get I could probably walk into a room and catch him in bed with somebody and that would still be my fault (laughs) like zero accountability zero empathy nothing and it it was just years of doubting myself and and just years of confusion and because he could like simultaneously be cruel and then be kind and so I'd constantly be thinking I don't what is this? Like, I just, there was just something that wasn't right. And I just couldn't put my finger on it. I, I didn't know what it was. And it was just horrible. And so when his mother died, that was kind of the icing on the cake for our marriage. That's when it was over, basically. He He was never, I was going to say he was never the same, but he was probably the same. Like nothing really changed, but he, I asked him to leave because his drinking got out of control. And um, I said to him, you really need to go and sort yourself out. I'm not having the kids find you in drunken states on the lounge with wine poured over you. Like we have children and we have young children and that's not okay. And so I had, I'd rung his friend and said, you know things have got pretty bad at home can he come and stay with you um for a few days and the friend said yes and so I just packed a bag and um I took it to well actually I got my father to take it to his coffee shop he instead of going to the friend's place he went and put himself up in this five-star hotel on our credit card and um he didn't go to the friend's place. And within a week, he'd rented a house. He didn't, te- he texted me and told me he had rented a house. The kids were being homeschooled at the time. It was COVID. He didn't even have the decency to discuss renting a house with me. Like we couldn't afford it. We, couldn't, we could barely afford our mortgage, let alone pay a mortgage and pay a, a rental. And he, went and he went and did that. And um, when I said to him, after 15 years of marriage and, you know, we've got six kids together, you didn't think to discuss that with me, how we were going to fund it? And he said to me, you can't be spoken to. I'm not going to speak to you about it because you can't be spoken to. And um, and I didn't, he said, how do you know that I can't afford it. And I said, I said exactly because you don't, I, I had no access to bank accounts. Like, and it's only looking back on, on it that the financial abuse, like it's only since I've been separated, have I realized that there was so much more than the emotional abuse. There was financial abuse. Like I didn't have access to our bank accounts. I didn't know where money was going. He would say, I, I worked. So I was always quite self-sufficient. Like it went into my account, but he had access to my account, but I didn't have access to his accounts. So he used to say things to me like, well, if you wanted money, you only had to ask. And I, I, you know, I think, why should I ask? Like we're married. And he would always buy himself the best of everything. And I would always ask, like, where have you got this money from? Like, I didn't know what was I didn't know really our financial situation. I just knew that I worked and I worked hard and I had enough for what I needed. And I never really, I I never really bought myself anything. I always used to buy the kids stuff, make sure that we had stuff at home and I wouldn't really get myself anything. But he would be going around in the best of everything all the time. And he used to say to me, if you don't look after the CEO of a company, the company will fall down. So you know his mindset was that he had to look after himself to the highest standard for everything else to flow on and if only i did that then things would things would be so much better yeah so he went off and he um he had his little rental house so he literally he, he literally discarded me within about a week of you know after six kids 15 years of marriage within a week I was like a nothing and he spent all of our money he furnished his house with the best of everything you know when we moved into our house I was buying secondhand furniture trying to save money um and he went and bought himself the best of everything he he filled the house up with balloons for the first time the children went around there as though it was a celebration to them, and when I when I said to him, you know, the kids are hurting. Like this is this has all happened within a week. Like they don't know what's going on, and you're you're filling the house up with balloons, and that's when he would just allow. He, he said I was poison, and um, that I I would see him in court, and I and I just. I would just crumble. I I was so weak by this point that I just doubted myself. And I thought, oh, my God, like, we're going to court now? Like, you've moved out. Like, this was all happening overnight, it felt like. I'd put up with years of abuse, and then all of a sudden, he wasn't there. He was in a new house. I didn't have any money. I had this big house on my own six kids the kids were all beside themselves they didn't know what was going on it was COVID I was trying to homeschool them and like my whole world was coming crashing down and um he and then just this one day he he messaged me and said we need to go to mediation and so I I said okay fine we'll go to mediation so we go to mediation and it was awful. I just remember sitting because it was COVID. It was on Zoom, and I just remember shaking and thinking, "Oh my God, what's he going to say? What's he going to do?" And it went initially. It went quite well, and we kind of came to an agreement about the children and when he would see them. And the lady said to me, "Oh, have you got any concerns?" And and I said, "My only concern is whether he he drinks when he sees the children, like I." Normally, I'm there, so it's okay, but it's not okay. But um, I said, I just don't want him having the children and drinking. And he turned around <laughs> and said, Can we talk about your drink and drug problems? Now, I've never, t- I've never taken drugs, I've never even smoked marijuana. Like, I've never had a drinking problem. I don't have a drug problem and he said it right there and and my face like I you know when you think oh my god if I try and explain myself I'm gonna look guilty like I was just I was in shock and I kind of stared at him across the computer screen like what are you talking about and and then I just I froze and I I just I said I just I don't have anything more to say and we ended there. um mediation session and the next time I saw him I said what was that all about and he said oh yeah sorry about that as though I just wanted to let her let the mediator think that you were the problem not me and I I just couldn't I couldn't go back to that mediator and I said and I actually emailed the mediator and I said, you know, you didn't even support me when he said that. And and her response was, oh, that's what men do when you, um, she said, men do that all the time. If you bring up something that, you know, a concern that you might have, she said, that's why it went over my head. And I, I said, I just, I don't know, I lost, I lost faith in her. Like I thought. I don't know why I thought she might protect me, but I thought she might kind of question him as to what he was what he was lying about. Or anyway, it, it ended up getting quite nasty. And I once again I tried my hardest to pacify him. And I said to him, you know, you can see the children whenever you want to see them. And you know, I want to be amicable. And can we just, you know, do what's best for the children? And We started to go for dinner once a week with the kids to try and settle them into this new life. And um, it was my son's birthday, and we went out for dinner. And um, I thought we'd had an okay time. You know, there was no arguing, it was fine. We dropped him home to his house. He didn't say a word about anything. And about 11 o'clock that night, I got a text message from him, and it said, I'm just letting you know I'm taking you to court. And I I'd just fallen asleep as my phone went off and I thought, you've waited till 11 o'clock to keep me awake all night now, telling me you're taking me to court. And I was thinking to myself, what are you taking me to court for? Like you're seeing your kids every day. Like, why are we going to court? And so my lawyer rang me about a week later and she said, she said, where are you? And I was in the shopping centre and she said, just go and sit down somewhere. And I was like, oh, why? she said, I've just received an affidavit. And she said, it's probably the worst thing I've ever read. And it was full of nasty. He was trying to get the children from me. And, you know, the, they say the one thing, you know, a narcissist will do when they lose control, you know, they'll they'll try and find the two things that will get to you the most. And that was my children and obviously money. Like he, he didn't care how I was coping financially. He just wanted the kids. And so he, in this affidavit, he portrayed me as though I was this crazy woman who he said, I'd never sought help throughout our marriage. I was suicidal throughout our marriage. He said I had a drug problem. He said I stole medication from work. Um, He said I'd been sacked from my work. Um, It was just pages and pages of lies, abuse. Like he he pinpointed my relationship with my eldest son because it's obviously not his biological son um he focused on that um trying to say that it was not a healthy relationship um he wrote things in it like oh the first thing he says when he walks in the front door is where's mum like that had any relevance to what he wanted um he said the children were scared of me Um, he said that I didn't have any friends. Like, it, it it was possibly the worst thing I've ever read. And it still, to this day, haunts me. Like, I I can't believe that a man who I was married to and had so many children with could be so cruel on paper. Yet, to my face, if I saw him, he would... He, he, he would have still pretended he was Mr. Nice Guy. Like, and the fact that he's got all these flying monkeys around that think he's so great. I I just sometimes I want to print off the affidavit and just distribute it around the local community and say this is this is the real him. Like it was yeah, it was horrible reading what he was saying about me just to try and get my children from me. And the children so it it cost me 30,000 to kind of go to court and kind of fight it because i thought he couldn't possibly have them 50/50 50, at 50 the time because he worked he wouldn't get them to school he didn't have a great relationship with them they wouldn't have wanted it he was seeing them more before he took me to court than than he is now and He, you know, like I said, it cost me 30000 He, when we got to court one day, he'd actually messaged me and said, just turn up tomorrow and we will come to a final agreement. We'll just say, look, I'll have kids every other weekend. And he lulled me into a full sense of security. And I thought, because I was in such a state, I thought, I just want this over. I want it over. I'm not fighting in court. I don't have any money. So I turned up. I turned up not dressed thinking that I was even going to go into court because I thought I was just going to go and sign final orders. And my lawyer came to the door and she said, I've got some bad news for you. And I said, oh God, what now? And she said, he's got a barrister. And so he had made me think that I was going to court to sign these final orders to get us out of court, when actually he'd hired a barrister to try and destroy me. And When it got in, so I I literally had to borrow the receptionist's blazer, put it over my T-shirt that I was wearing, quickly do my hair, run into the toilet. I was crying at this point, trying to get myself together, put some lipstick on and then go and present myself to court. When the first thing his lawyer said or the barrister said was, so you've got concerns about mum's mental health. And they were like, yes, we do. And there was me trying not to cry and not look like this basket case that he was portraying me as. Um, And luckily, the judge was quite, you know, she knew, she was educated in coercive control and she really knew the stunts he was trying to pull to, you know, the post-separation abuse. It's classic that they try and say that you're, you're crazy, you're mad, um, that I was, you know, alienating the children against him. And, you know, really that wasn't the case at all. Before he we went to court, I, I was letting him see them whenever he wanted. Um, and it came out of the blue that he was taking me to court. So he he kind of ended up, you know, shooting himself in the foot because he ended up getting just seeing them one day during the week and then supposed to be every other weekend. We've got court orders for it. And he hasn't had them one weekend. He has not had them overnight for two years. Like he doesn't stick to his court orders that cost us, cost me 30,000. It would have cost him more because he had a barrister. Um, And he doesn't stick to these orders. So his relationship with his children has got worse. Um, And now it's time to sell the house. He actually messaged me and said, can we do this amicably? Because um, I don't want to go. I don't think we should go to court. And I thought, you just dragged me through court when I didn't want to. And now you've run out of money. You don't want to go through court. And it was actually the day we came out of court for the children, after he had accused me of being crazy and not in a position to look after my children. He sent me a text message. I kid you not, half an hour after coming out of court, it said, regardless of what happened in court today, would you like to go out for dinner with the children tonight? And I just, again, that whole crate, I couldn't, like, I was looking at the phone thinking, are you serious? Like, you have just in front of a courtroom accused me of being crazy and now you're asking me to go for dinner like, and I thank god I had such supportive friends and family to actually tell me this is not right like you are not mad like and it's only now that I'm out of it and I'm really out of it because I I went no contact like the whole time I had contact with him, this was continuing. Like the post separation abuse was horrific, and it got to the point where now I have to have no contact with him. I cannot have a single conversation with him. Like I can't. I try to like parallel parent with him, but I can't even do that. Like he doesn't stick to the court orders. I don't. I can't. I feel like I just can't do more. Like if I do. My health suffers. I I get too stressed and overwhelmed because he just he looks at me with contempt and like I said before, that the local community are so taken in by him, none of them can kind of know the the stories behind it or the crazy making behavior. He wouldn't he wouldn't tell them any of that, obviously. He would just tell them that, you know. I've stopped him from seeing his children or I'm crazy or, you know, whatever he's told them and that they've chosen to believe. And it's got easier as I've gone along, but I remember times just feeling overwhelmed with no one talking to me, friends who I've had for years, defriending me on Facebook, not talking to me in the street. um and not knowing why and and now i just think i really don't care what you think like i know who i am as a person and i'm i'm getting therapy and i'm um, i'm looking after myself and my children and there is light at the end of the tunnel but you know there were times where i really was hitting rock bottom just thinking am i Am I losing my mind? Like, because because of that, you know, when, it, when you're over narcissists, like people can see it, you know, like it, it, it's there. You can, he's not like that at all. He's so covert, like you'd never, unless you've lived it, you'd never know it. So good at disguising it and um, just, it's just, insidious and hidden abuse.
0: So do you have any words of wisdom for everyone listening?
1: Um, I guess I always knew that no contact was the way that you, you know, you deal with narcissists and from all my reading and research and that. But I kept thinking, oh, no, I can, you know, I can fix it. I can, you know, if only I'm, if only I'm nicer or if only I'm, I don't rock the boat or if only I don't give my opinion of something or, you know, it'll be okay. And it would, I think, had I taken that advice much earlier, I, it could have probably sped up how I felt. Like I probably prolonged it by not getting no contact When we'd been married for 10 years, I was getting to the point where I was getting mentally stronger. And I actually thought I might leave this marriage. (laughs) Like this was when, you know, we were coming up for our 10-year anniversary and I I was doing well in my career and I just wasn't happy at home. And I thought, you know, I, I think I could leave if I really wanted to. And financially, I thought I could cope. And he must have realized that I was getting a bit of confidence and he didn't like it. And I remember going out one night with my colleagues and he would never normally care if I went out. Like I didn't go out very often, but this one time he actually drove to where I was and he rang one of my colleagues and said, tell her to come outside. She's coming home. And I that wasn't a red flag to me. I didn't think, "Oh, he's being controlling or anything. He portrayed it as though he was worried about me, that you know you didn't answer your phone, so I came and found you. So I had to leave the party early because he'd come all the way into the city to come and get me and take me home. And um it was coming closer to our 10-year wedding anniversary, and and he he obviously didn't like the fact I was getting a social life, and I was getting you know my, my confidence back. Anyway, it got to our 10-year anniversary and he completely went out on a whim he got this limousine to pick me up we went back to the church where we got married we got remarried we went back to where we had our wedding reception he had um he had band playing live music of our wedding song we went into the city like he completely overwhelmed me with all these elaborate gifts and the day was like it was amazing but at the back of my mind I was thinking oh my god how has he paid for this like it was like thousands of dollars and it was all about he wanted it all over Facebook what he'd done for our 10-year wedding anniversary he wanted everyone to think he was just this great bloke that look what he's done for his wife and he knew I was about to leave him." he knew i was thinking of leaving he knew i was unhappy and then i was stuck again like i was i was stuck in the marriage because i'd just remarried him and renewed my vows to him and it was like the love bombing all over again like the cycle had continued and so everyone just thought oh my god look what he's done for her like it's just amazing and then I found out he'd taken out like this twenty thousand dollar loan to pay for it, and I was fuming. I was, I was fuming with him. Like I, I said, we cannot afford a loan for one day doing this. Like, and then he was like, "Oh, you're so ungrateful! I did this for you. I did this to show you I loved you." And, and so then I felt really ungrateful again. But then I, and then I. But then I would worry about the money. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm stuck again in this marriage. And and then, yeah, five years later, and then I just got discarded. <laughs> so that's what I should say to anybody that go when you actually feel it and you want to go, go. Like don't wait for it to get better, because it doesn't. If you really believe you were the narcissist, you've got to go no contact and you've got to you've got to look after yourself because. They will make you crazy.
0: (laughs) So just a question about that. You have, you know, six children, five of them with him. Mm. Most people can't go no contact when it comes to, you know, because of the kids. How are you able to do it? And how are you able to do it without a court coming after you?
1: Well, that's just it because... The court would come after me if it was me stopping him seeing the children. But it's not. It's him not turning up when he is supposed to. So I could do him for contempt of his court orders, but I don't have the money to. So I just leave it. And if he wants to see them on those days, then he can. Like, I don't prevent him from doing it. He refuses to have contact with me. Um. So, if I have to, I if I have to, I message him or email him. I won't. I don't talk to him. Um, the kids, you know, he he will message the children. He's very manipulative with the children. He knows which ones out of the six that he can. So he will go up to one of them, the fourteen-year-old, and he will say to him you're my most emotionally mature child. I know you get it. He said, I know you know I've done nothing wrong. I'm a good person. And he will come home to me and say, mum, why does he say those things to me? It makes me feel so uncomfortable. Like, why does he pick on me? And, and he picks on him because he, he's the vulnerable. He's the one that he knows. He knows which child he can get to. Same as with me. Like, He'll pick who he thinks he can manipulate and he's picked well because he, it does upset him and he does, he doesn't answer back. Whereas, you know, my daughter, for example, she kind of knows what he's like and she'll tell him, she'll say, don't talk to me like that. Whereas my son is a bit, you know, he's sweet and, you know, he gets upset. And and so he really, he says things to him like, um, you know, you know, you you've seen me try and talk to mum. You've seen me try and be nice to mum. And um and he'll say he tried to say to my older boys, You do know mum's seen a psychologist before, don't you? You do know mum's got mental health problems. Like and it's kind of become a bit of a joke between me and the kids, like that that they they will joke and say, Oh, oh you're crazy or He's suicidal mum because he's told them all of this kind of stuff about me. But I'm lucky, like, I have a very good relationship with all of the kids. He, he hasn't just discarded me. He's discarded my eldest son too. So, you know, he's brought him up since he was, you know, four or five. And he has not had contact with him since he left. Like, it's as though I remember he, he once told me that um, me and my son, we had one brain between us. You know he wouldn't say that about his biological children, but he thought it was okay to say it about you know the child he's brought up from a little boy and and so the other kids have seen that they've seen how they've treated their he's treated their brother differently and and you know I've got more or less three adult children who they're not on the court orders, and he doesn't even try and see them so i I don't have a court come after me because I haven't, you know, it's not me stopping those court orders. It's him choosing not to, not to see the children when he can. Um, But we're still in court. We're still fighting out the finances and um, he's still got trying to keep a bit of control over that with the sale of the house. You know, he's, I've got to put it out for sale. I've got to get it ready for sale, but he won't let, he wants all the money to go into trust so that we can fight it out in court. Even though once the house is sold, I won't have a roof over my head and neither will his children. So I don't know where he expects me to find money to, you know, when, I can't, when I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on the sale of the house to get some money to, to find somewhere to live, but he won't let me have that. So he still ultimately just wants to win. Like he did, he thought he'd won by getting the court orders. And so he's got those court orders and he doesn't stick to them. So what was the point in going to court? He was seeing his kids way more before we went to court. So it's, yes, it's pretty hard when you've got children. It is, it's really hard. All those things that he said about me, all those lies he said I have to kind of talk myself out of them, like to tell myself they're not true. You know, you're not those things. You're a good parent. You're a good person. Just know you're worth. Like, But, you know, it's taken a lot of therapy and, and ongoing therapy and friends and family. Like you, you really do find out who your real friends are during times like this because, because it's so hard to explain the abuse people don't see it so you you do look crazy you know there's me saying this really nice guy that serves everyone their coffee in the morning is abusive and and you really can't can't explain it very well so it's um it does feel like a bit of a never-ending cycle but it does get better
0: well sunday I want to thank you for being here with me today at this early hour for me and and late hour for you. And, um, you know, you did a really good job telling your story today. As I say to so many people, it's very difficult to tell your story, what stories to choose, especially when you're in a 15-year relationship with someone, and to be very clear about what has happened to help educate everyone who's listening and to validate everyone's experience. And you just did a really good job today. And I can't thank you enough uh, for being here with us today. Thank you. So once again, thank you so much Sunday for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Sunday was today, please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse.gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we at NarcissistApocalypse.com have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, you'll see a support group button. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And you can validate other survivors just like you, too. It's a wonderful group of people on there. You can share your experiences and make friends as well. It's a great group of people and a great support group. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and every web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big. Or small, the town you are in, domestic shelters.org has it there and is a wonderful free resource and a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please go to domestic shelters.org. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and it is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. And they are currently just a Canadian company, but they're looking to be spreading into the United States. It's a volunteer organization and a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It's an interesting part of the domestic violence escape process and getting you to save getting all of your things out of your home, set up in storage for you, all of your belongings and storage. And they can even do this for your pets and livestock as well. And it's just a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com and check them out. And that is it for our show. So for myself and Sunday, we hope you have a good night.